0: I want you to turn with me this morning in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Several years ago, Newsweek magazine had a cover article. It was entitled, Young Americans Return to God. And, and inside the magazine, it said this. Having transformed American society as they march toward middle-aged, 75 million baby boomers are now leading a return to organized religion. Whatever their inspiration, they are picking among congregations as if they were restaurants. Now, did you get that? People are choosing churches the same way that they choose restaurants. It seems people are coming to church with the same mindset they have in the world, a a consumer mentality. What is the church going to do for me? What am I going to get from this church? How is this church going to serve me? And while those may be some good questions, if we're going to discover the right church, I believe that they're not the only questions and they are certainly not the most important questions. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at at steps that we need to take if we're going to live the life that God created us to live. And, and two weeks ago, we began by talking about repentance. And repentance is, is all too often that, that part of the salvation plan, God's salvation plan, that churches don't address, they don't deal with. But the Bible makes it clear that if we do not repent, we will Perish. So we talked about salvation. How are we truly saved biblically? And then last week we talked about baptism and we said that baptism isn't essential for salvation, but it is certainly a vital part of our salvation experience. If we've experienced salvation, then we will express that through baptism. Baptism is the first step of obedience. In the Christian life. But this morning, I thought it would be a good idea if we talked about how to choose the right church. Because the church is a vital part of our Christian life and our Christian growth. And if we do not get plugged into a church, or if we get plugged into the wrong church, it will be impossible for us to grow to the level that God wants us to grow. Now, there are some of you here this morning who, who are not members of Northside. And I want you to know up front that God wants. No, God expects you to be a part of a local church. You need to understand that. God not only wants you to be a part, God expects that. And so you need to ask yourself, what kind of questions do, do I need to ask When I'm looking for that church that God wants me to be a part of. And there are others of you who are a part of the Northside family. But there is that possibility that one day you will move to another town. You will move to another area. And when you do that, you're going to be looking for a church. You better be looking for a church. And so as you look... What kind of questions do you need to ask as as you're trying to discover, is this the church that I need to plant roots in, that I need to be a a part of? Now, this morning, as we we try to answer the questions of what questions we ask, I want us to begin by looking at a verse, that verse in Ephesians chapter 2. It's on your note sheet. I want you to notice what it says, and, and why don't we read it together from the Living Bible? I want you to I want you to read this with me from the the Living Bible Translation. Let's read it together. You are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Now, this verse teaches us two very important truths. The first one is this. The church is a family. The church is not a building It is not a club, it is not an organization, it is not an institution, it is not a religion. The Bible says that the church is a family. The church is God's family. That's why the Bible uses terms like born again or adopted when referring to a Christian. Because when we repent of our sin, when we place our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ... We are born into the family of God, we are adopted into the family of God, and we become a part of His very own family. But listen, being a Christian is not only about relating to God, it's about relating to other members in the family, isn't it? Because we not only have a father that we relate to, we have brothers and sisters that we relate to. I love what Peter said about this when he was talking about the church in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. Peter said this. He said, You should be like one big happy family, loving one another with tender hearts. Peter said, You're like one big happy family. Now, the truth of the matter is, every family has ups and downs, and every family has family members that Well, they're out there a little bit. Would you agree? But they're a part of the family. And we love them even though they're out there. And we love them with a tender love. Regardless of where they're at, regardless of how they look, regardless of what they may be doing, when they're a part of the family, we love them. You see, the Bible says that's how we relate to our family of faith with love and tenderness. You see, the Bible makes it clear that, that the Christian life can only be lived in relationship with other Christians. A Christian without a church family is like an orphan. Every Christian needs a family, a family of faith to associate with. So we need a church home. But the second truth That this verse teaches is this. You belong in a family. Not only is the church the family of God. You belong in a family. Look at chapter 2 verse 19 of Ephesians again. Notice what it says. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. You see the Bible makes it clear that God expects you to be a part of a local church belonging to a church shows that you really believe there's no such thing in the new testament of a of a christian that didn't have a church home or or a christian that floated from church to church one week We'll go to the church at Philippi. The next week, we'll go to the church at Corinth. The next week, we'll go to the church at Rome. It all depends on what they're preaching on. It all depends on the music that they're doing. And we'll just float from church to church depending on which one rocks my boat at the right time. That's not a biblical way of looking at church. We are even told that in the first century... Christians, when they move from town to town, would take letters of recommendation from their church to their new church. It seems like it's only in America that we have this lone ranger mentality that I can be a Christian without being a part of a church. And let me say as plainly as I can... If you believe that, if, if you believe that you can be a Christian without being a part of the church, you have been deceived. Because membership in the church is a biblical concept. But for many churches today, I, I would have to confess that, that membership means something different today than it meant in biblical days. It seems like in today's society, membership means I have privileges Membership means that I have rights. Membership means that that I have the right to do this. I have the right to do this. It means that you should do this for me. But in the Bible, membership always spoke of responsibility. You see, biblically, when you became a member of a church, it meant that you were actively involved. You were no longer a spectator, you were a participator. You were no longer a consumer, you were a contributor. You were no longer just along for the ride, you were rowing the boat. It's not about what the church can do for you anymore, it's about how you can serve the church. Simply put, membership means commitment. So before we go any further, let me ask you a question. Have you made that commitment? And if the answer is no, I would follow up by asking you, why not? I mean, if membership is a biblical concept and God expects it, then why haven't you done that? Now, you may be saying, well, I want to make the right decision. I want to make the right choice. And and that's noble. But there may be some of you, I don't know, there may be some of you that have been kicking the tires here at Northside, not for a couple of weeks, not even for a couple of months. Some of you may have been coming to Northside for a year or years. And you've never made that commitment to be a member, to be a part of the family. And and I would say to you, like I would think a woman would say to a man. You, you know, if a, if a man was dating a woman for, you know, a week and it went to a month and it went to a year and then it went on and on and on for years, I would think that sooner or later that woman is going to look that man in the eyes and say, okay, what's your intentions? What you going to do? Are we just going to go out on dates or are we going to take this further? Are we going to make a commitment to one another? You see, commitment is a biblical thing. Now, some of you are saying, okay, all right, I understand that, but, but how do I make the choice? And so there are some questions that you can ask that will help you as you make that choice. And here's what I've discovered. There are primary questions... And there are secondary questions. The primary questions have to do with with essential issues. I mean, you shouldn't choose a church unless you answer these primary questions correctly. And the church answers these primary questions correctly. And, And then there are secondary issues that deal more with my preferences, my likes the way I was brought up, the things that, that float my boat. Now, those things are important too, but they certainly aren't as important as the primary issues. Now, let me begin by addressing two secondary issues that I think, for the most part, people ask when they're choosing a church. The first one is about worship style. What worship style does the church have? And this is a valid question. And the reason it's a valid question is because if you go to 10 different churches, you're probably going to find at least five different styles. You may find 10 different styles. Now, some of you may say, well, this is a new thing in the church. And and let me just say to you, no, it's not a new thing in the church. There weren't as much, there wasn't as much variety in years gone by as there is now, but there's always been variety variety. There's always been different worship styles. Some churches have always been more traditional. Some churches have always been more modern. Some churches have always been more formal. Some churches have always had little structure. Some churches have always been very emotional and and other churches have always been very stoic. And to be perfectly honest with you, every one of those is okay. Can I say that again? Look at me in the eyes. Every one of those is okay. You see, God isn't as much concerned about style as he is about substance and about spirit. So what do we do here at Northside? Well, here's what we say. Our desire is to have celebrative worship. Now, why do we say that? Well, the reason is because we believe that we are gathering together to celebrate the fact that Jesus Rose from the dead and defeated sin and death. We come together on Sunday primarily because that's the day he did it. We come to a tomb that is locked up with a stone in front of it. And we get in here and we realize that the stone has been rolled away. Death has not defeated us. Sin cannot overcome us. Because Jesus is alive. And I believe that that is a reason to celebrate. That's why we try to have a celebrative style. Our vision statement says this. We envision a church worshiping together where the power of God is seen. We want visible manifestations of God moving in our midst. Where the presence of God is felt. I mean, we want God to stir our emotions and where the um, truth of God is presented. We want to make sure that this book is guiding and directing everything we do. I, I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, worship is the believer's response with all that he is. Mind, emotions, will, and body. To all that God is, all that God says, and all that God does. Now, here's what I've discovered about worship. Worship is more about me. or, Or you. It's more about my attitude, my heart, my desire, than it is a style. And let me give you an example. Back in July, Sherry and I were in Dallas on a Sunday. The hotel that we were staying at was the heart of downtown, and it was just, just two to three blocks from First Baptist Dallas. So we went to First Baptist Dallas that morning. And First Baptist Dallas has a very traditional style of worship. But I got to tell you, I worshiped because they were celebrating the Lord. The people were engaged. They were involved, and they were enjoying what they were doing. And it was that one style, and, and yet I came away and Sherry came away. We enjoyed our morning. Back a couple of weeks ago, we were in Nashville on a Sunday night. And my son-in-law and daughter have moved there to join a, a, um, a staff of a life group church there. And, and so that Sunday night, we went to a life church campus, which was much more modern. I mean with the lights going all over the place. Some of you go, I don't like our lights. Well, goodness gracious, you ain't seeing nothing. And I mean the smoke was filling the room. And you go, I don't like the smoke, and, and I'm sitting there and I know in my mind, I know in my mind it's not smoke. I know that, I know that. I know this stuff. And yet this smoke is going, we'll suffocate him, we'll suffocate him, we suffocate. And I mean, I felt like, you know, some people say, well, I don't think it should be like a concert. I, it was like a concert. It was crazy. But I worshipped. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. Just like at First Baptist Dallas, the styles were totally different, but the people were engaged. They were focusing on the Savior, the Spirit. I believe was in control. And even though the styles were different, it was worshipful. And so it's not so much about style as it is about substance and about the spirit. Now personally, I I prefer a worship style that is alive, that is vibrant, that is happy, that is filled with people who are participating. Regardless of style, I hate to go to a service where everyone's standing around with a frown on their face. I mean, you know, I wonder who 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 died. I mean, I thought he I, I thought he rose from the grave. Is he still in there? And so when I I come into worship, it, it's not about it's not about the style, but but I do want I do want it to touch my emotions. I want it to lift my spirits. I, I want the people to be engaged. So how, how do they worship? You need to understand that it needs to draw you to the throne. So you have to decide that. The second question that is a secondary question is how are they structured? How are the decisions made? How do they get things done? Who leads? Some churches have an organizational structure that is more in-depth than the federal government. And because of that, they get so bogged down in business meetings and bureaucracy that they hardly have time for ministry. And oftentimes, there are decisions that need to be made and made quickly because an opportunity has arisen, but they miss the opportunity because of how they have to make decisions. Some churches vote on just about everything and that's okay, but I don't necessarily think that it's practical, and and I don't necessarily think it's biblical. Biblically, we see that God's people are led by God-appointed leaders. And when God's people are led by God-appointed leaders, it seems like everything goes well with the people of God. But when they get away from that, things tend to fall apart. You say, how so? Well, a great example is how God called Moses out in the wilderness to go back to Egypt to lead the people out of slavery into the promised land and and Moses kind of kicking and screaming went, but God used him in an incredible way, set the people free, they received the law of God, they were on the way to the promised land, they were actually on the um, boundary of the promised land they sent spies in to scope out the land hopefully to bring everybody a good report that would get people excited about going to where God told them to go and you know the story right 12 spies went in 10 came in and said it was a great land but we can't do that there's giants in the land they'll eat us for dinner we can't go in The two spies said, God gave us this land. God told us to do this. They remembered. But the people voted. They decided, we're going to go with the ten. You know the story, don't you? None of the adults made it to the promised land. Except for Joshua and Caleb, the two, who said, we can do this. They're the only two adults that made it to the promised land. Why? Because their structure... Though it it may have seemed right to some, it kept them from the promised land. Now, the best way to discover our structure is to look at descriptions of the church in the Bible. The church is called a flock. The church is called a body. The church is called a family. Flocks are cared for and led by pastors, and we believe that that's what God has called us to do. Bodies have many parts that have various functions. And, and we believe that God has gifted and equipped different people with different gifts. Some administrative. Some service. Some in other types of gifts. And, and God wants everybody in the body to be using the gifts that God has given them in service. And then the church is a family. And in a family we love one another. We're governed more by love than, than by the law. And so it's not so much about following a formal document to the letter and to the T. It's, it's about what is the loving thing to do? What is, what is the most gracious thing to do? Now, and understand, people disagree on worship style. People disagree on structure, and, and that's okay. And, and there's good and great churches that have different styles of worship, They're good and great churches that have different styles of structure. And for you, if those things are vital, then you definitely need to find a church where the style and the structure fit who you are. But I would challenge you to see that those things, style and structure, they're not primary. They're secondary. They're more important questions to ask. And and if a worship style or a structure is guiding you primarily, more often than not, you're going to end up going to the wrong church. Those need to be secondary issues that come into play, but they don't need to guide and direct. So what are the primary questions? So let me give you three. The first one is this. What do they believe? This is the most important question because our beliefs guide our behavior. Our beliefs guide our life. So you want a church that focuses on the right beliefs. You don't want a church that says all beliefs are equal. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I want you to write this verse down. It's Proverbs 14, verse 15. It says, don't be stupid and believe all you hear. Did you get that? Don't believe stupid and believe all you hear. Be smart and know where you are headed. In other words, just because someone said it doesn't make it right. Just because a church believes it doesn't make it the gospel truth. You see, you got to know what you believe, and you better believe the right things if you're going to be headed in the right direction. Later on, or excuse me, three verses before this, Solomon said this. He said there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. The fact of the matter is, is we live in a day and age of relativism that teaches us that what's true for you may not be true for me. And unfortunately, that's found its way in many churches today. There are some churches that even tell us that it doesn't matter what you believe. There are more and more churches today that that seem to be filled with feel-good cliches and self-help gurus, but the problem is cliches and gurus never deal with the root issues of our problems. The right church is going to present the truth, not what is politically correct, not what is popular, not what what will have the least resistance, but what is true because all beliefs are not the same all beliefs are not relative but listen you also need to find a church that shares the truth with love because there's some churches that are very good on the truth the beliefs but man they're harsh and so you need to have that balance. Now, there are two vital questions to ask when you're trying to figure out what they believe. The first one is this. Do they believe in the authority of God's Word? You see, every church has an authority. For us, it's the Bible. It's not the Bible plus other books. It's not the Bible plus our, our denominational traditions. It's not the Bible plus what some leader in the past has said. It's the Bible. What does the Bible say on this issue? You see, every church has a final source of authority. And as you're looking for a church, you need to make sure that the Bible is their final source of authority. Here's what our belief statement says. We believe the Bible was written by men, divinely inspired. It is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore, it is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. And so is the Bible our source of authority? You need to ask that. And then second... Do they believe in the uniqueness of God's Son? Here's what Jesus said. John chapter 8. He said, unless you believe that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. It's pretty important, isn't it? Unless you believe what I say about myself... You will die in your sins. Now, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come into the Father except through me. You see, there are not many ways to salvation. There is one way to salvation, and Jesus is his name. Now, who is Jesus? Jesus is God who took on human flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. On the third day, he defeated death, he defeated sin, and he rose from the grave. He appeared to his disciples for 40 days, and after that, he ascended into heaven. And guess what? He's coming back. And we're looking forward to that. And so, what does that church believe about Jesus? Everything I said should be a non-negotiable to you. So, before you ever choose a church, you need to say, what do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about Jesus? But next, after you ask, what do they believe? You need to ask, can I belong? Is this a place that... I can belong. In Romans chapter 12 verse 5 it says. In Christ we who are many form one body. And each member. Don't miss this. Each member belongs to all the others. Wow. Talk about communism. (laughs) I, I mean the scripture says. That you belong to the other parts of the body. Now, I can tell you what that does do. That strikes a death blow to the notion that I go into a church because of what's in it for me. It strikes a death blow to the notion that I join a church because I want my needs met. You see, I need to find a church where I can set aside my personal preferences for the sake of God's purpose. And so I need to ask two questions when it comes to belonging. The first question is this. Is there a clear purpose that I can rally around? What is driving them and is it biblical? Then our mission is simple. Our mission is based on the Great Commission. And our mission is to make disciples of all people by urging them to believe in Jesus and get saved belong to his family, the body of Christ, and become like him and and make a difference in the world. That's our mission. And so you ask yourself, is that mission biblical? Is that church going to emphasize that every member is a missionary? And then you look at their strategy. How are they trying to reach the world, because one day you're going to stand before Jesus and He's going to ask you, Listen, look, He's going to ask you, What did you do with the mission? He's going to ask you that. And it's not going to be good enough to say, Well, I went to church. It's not going to be good enough to say, Well, I joined. He's going to go, No, what did you do with the mission? The mission that I gave you because I said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So what did you do? You see, there are only two things in heaven that we can't do here on earth. Everything else we can do. We can worship God in heaven just like we can here on earth. We can read the Holy Scriptures in heaven just like we can on earth. We can pray in heaven because prayer is communicating with God, just like we can on earth. We can fellowship with other believers in heaven, just like we can here on earth. There are only two things we can't do in heaven that we can do on earth. One is sin. Because when we get to heaven, oh, praise Jesus. That old flesh is going to be taken away. We're going to receive that glorified body that is free from sin. The tempter, the tormentor, our eternal enemy, Satan, is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Everything is going to become new. So we can't sin. It's not going to be like I'm struggling with my old flesh every day. No, I've been given a new nature. The other thing we can't do in heaven is we can't bring people to Jesus in heaven. You know why? Everybody knows him. If we want to reach people for Jesus, we got to do it here. Now, let me tell you, heaven's a whole lot better than here. And so, why are we here? Well, we're here because God wants us to do that thing, reach people for Jesus, that we can't do in heaven. So, is there a clear mission you can rally around? And then second, you need to ask yourself, is there a community that I can do life with? Do they stress small groups, life groups, Sunday school, whatever you want to call it, but... Groups that are biblically based and relationally challenging. If you've ever played sports that require endurance, you know that there are times in the game or there are times in the event when you feel like giving up. You feel like throwing in the towel. And if you're all by yourself, you may do that. But if you've got other people who are part of the team... They're there to rally around you. They're there to cheer you on. At times, they're there to pick you up. Dave McRoberts, one of the leaders of our church here, is a police officer, a sheriff's department officer, and and he went to seal training in California several years ago. And while he was there, he and he got hit big. Dave's a diabetic, and um, and he. His insulin or whatever got low and he went into a diabetic episode and they were climbing up a mountain there and, I mean, it was tough. And if it were not for other people there with him, he would have died. But, I mean, they picked him up and carried him on. That's what the church does. You see, we ask ourselves, is there a community that I can connect with? That, that one, when I am down, they're there and they're going to pick me up. But two, when others are down, I'm going to gather around them and pick them up. That's where the Bible talks about the one another's of Scripture. There are over 50 of those in Scripture. And so what do they believe? Do they believe in the authority of God's Word? Do they believe in the uniqueness of God's Son? Can I belong? Is there a, a purpose that I can rally around? Is there a community I can connect with? And then finally, will they help me become more like Jesus? 2 Corinthians 13.9 says, Our greatest wish and prayer is that you become mature Christians. In Romans 8, Paul said, For from the very beginning, God decided that those who come to him should become like his son. Here's what I've discovered. And please, please don't get offended by this. But I've, I've discovered that, that many people, and perhaps most people... The the real reason they don't join a church is simple. They don't want to be held responsible. That's That's the real reason. I don't want you to ask anything of me. I would rather sit and soak it in than be expected to serve. I would rather you meet my needs. I would rather you heal my hurts. I would rather you solve my problems than having a commitment to do life with other people and get involved in their life. You see, maturity is a commitment. And the right church is going to help you become a fully follower, devoted follower of Christ. That church is going to help you learn how to pray, how to study God's Word, how to manage your money, how to serve others, how to share your faith. That church is going to continually challenge you to become more and more committed. And so there are three questions you ask as you're trying to decide, is this church going to help me become more like Jesus? First, am I challenged to stretch my faith? Are they challenging me to grow in my faith? And one of the primary ways that you do that is through giving your resources. That's just the bottom line. That's one of the simplest and the easiest ways to begin to live a life of faith. So are they challenging me in that area? Second, am I being challenged to serve in ministry? Are they saying that every minister member needs to be involved in ministry? Every member is a minister in some way, shape, or form. And then third, am I being challenged to share my story with other people? Is that church pushing me, encouraging me, prodding me to get out there in the world and tell others what Jesus is doing in my life? You see, the right church is going to always ask for more. And so let me ask you a question. Have you found the right church? And if not, why not? And what you need to start doing right here, right now, and if you haven't made a commitment to Northside, you need to ask yourself why. And hear me. If you sit back and, and you ask those three primary questions, the three most important questions... I. You're not going to find a church that's more biblical. It's following God's word more. But if those secondary questions are kind of holding you back, you go, I don't want to be a part of Northside. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to find a church where you can plug in, where you can commit your life to the mission and begin to serve. Because God expects you not to sit in a seat. God expects you to serve. God expects you to share. God expects you to get involved. And my prayer, my desire, is that every single one of you who are here, who are not a part of the Northside family, will say, I need to take that next step. I need to get plugged in at Northside. What do I need to do? Well, the answer is you need to go through our Running Together class, a class that over 50 people were at yesterday. Because that's the prerequisite to being a part of our church. Because we have a covenant membership. We believe we live in covenant with one another. And so have you found a church? If you haven't, make the commitment to find it. But more than that, I would ask you, have you found Christ? (laughs) Because a church without Jesus in your life is an empty shell. So you need Jesus. So if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and we're going to pray a prayer. prayer we pray practically every week. For some of you, it may get old and mundane and repetitive, but hear me. We would be amiss if we believed Jesus is the only way to heaven. And we don't give people every week an opportunity to receive him. And so if you're here and you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, surrendering your all to him, you want to do that this morning, then I encourage you to pray this prayer right now with all your heart. Dear Jesus. I come to you this morning acknowledging my sin. I know my best is never going to be good enough. Please forgive me. I know you died on the cross. I know you rose from the grave to pay for my sins. Right now, in this moment, I'm trusting you to save me. And I'm trusting you with my life. I'm giving you control. Fill me with your spirit. From this moment on. You're my savior. You're my Lord. You're my God. Thank you for hearing me Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Amen.